First, I'd like to thank the Arts Council for their ongoing support for the festival in the totality. And I'd also like to thank the specific sponsors for this event, LJI and BRM. Phoebe was named a Foil Young Poet of the Year in 2009 and received an Eric Gregory Award in 2012. She published a pamphlet, Heart Duet, in 2016. She was awarded the Forward Poetry Prize for Best First Collection for Shrines of Austria, with the judges describing Phoebe as an utterly contemporary voice. The collection was also shortlisted for the 2018 T.S. Eliot Prize earlier this year, with Judge Sinead Morrissey describing the work as forging a new language of shared inheritances, both personal and national, and radically destabilising the notion of borders. Shrines of Upper Austria also recently received a Somerset Moore Award from the Society of Authors. Please welcome Phoebe Bauer. Thank you very much, Bert. So I'm going to read from my collection, Shrines of Upper Austria. The poems in this book adopt a number of different perspectives and voices. And in particular, lots of the poems draw on the life story of my grandmother, Crystal. So as you'll hear in the poems, Crystal was born in Austria. She was found abandoned as a baby and came to live in Britain after World War II. The poems I'm going to read this morning are intended as a kind of a dialogue between generations, between history and the present time, and between places, the UK and the rest of Europe. They include Crystal's own commentary on her situation and describe my attempt at understanding her story. For example, one of the poems you're going to hear is about looking for the places where she grew up, um, the specific houses in Villach in Austria. And as part of my performance, I'm going to show a very short extract of a video installation which I made in collaboration with three other artists, Debbie Acom, Gary Power and Michael Hedges. In this artwork, we told Crystal's story using film, sound and sculpture, as well as poetry. Um, but before we get to that, um, I'm going to start with a different poem, um, which is actually set in the UK. And I'm going to introduce you to a character from London. Rena. She used to faint, her hair flapping beside her, eyes spinning back through her head. She grew an eating disorder like a germ in a test tube or a baby. Never said what was in her soul, but left her pink lips prissed forwards at us to guard her. Then she got thinner till she was a slick question mark in a long dress. At every stage, the pattern in her face faded more. 
I saw her on the arm of a train operator. He was all apologies and watches. Eventually, she drew up a chair at the office herself and went to work. She never missed a day. Then a shadow drew down behind her eye. She woke one Monday and could not see through both her eyes. They said, a shadow has drawn down behind this eye. I saw her the next week at a party. She didn't mention it. Her eyes were just as big and blue and bare as I remembered. Isis and Maria. Isis doesn't like that her name sounds like the terrorist group, Isis. From Colombia, speaks Espanol, will not 15, cause she will Peter Pan. The only girl in soft gray sweatpants in the art class brushes a wave shape, blue, violet, green while the other kids draw in pencil first a fish, a plant, a boat. Maria loves Isis. Maria needs friends. She dominates a friendship. Let's go shopping. Isis is so funny, girl. Both don't speak so good German, but are good in English and understand all. Maria. At this school, I don't learn anything. They just give us work and we don't must do it. At my last school, the teachers stand at the front. We take notes, we learn something. My mother come first from Croatia for one year. Then we all come. I live in a hotel five minutes. I don't like live in the hotel because I don't can see my friends in my house. Isis has next week a party, pajama party. We play games, talk, maybe go shopping, I don't know. It's really good. Name. My grandmother's name was Chris. Achya, Crystal. A chrism, Christ with a lemon tongue, turquoise water inside a glass, vertise water, a crystal you take in your pocket or carry, touching your neck, a pair of blue and glass eyes from a black and white portrait. A ring of yellow hair. Chris, in your army green cap. Crystal, a baby lying over a stream. Or the picture of a baby.
Es war einmal. Once upon a time. A farmer was walking by a stream when he saw a basket had been left there. There was a baby, miraculously, asleep inside. Glücklich für das Kind, the soft, fine day. The slow wind didn't wake her. They called her Crystal because she came like Christ in a mean way, out of doors, and was conceived like him, mysteriously. The farmer had neighbours who, it was well known, could not have children, and this was a great burden. The farmer's wife felt that God had laid a gift in her hands, that she alone had the power to give away. She was adopted by these neighbours. Then, when she was eight, Crystal's first sister was born, Heidi, with hair all over her little skull. Then came Irmgard, Gunther, the twins Roswitha and Anna-Marie, and Harry. At 21, she worked in a canteen in green army uniform, serving meals to British soldiers after the war. First, Frank hooked her waist and touched the bright yellow curl that emerged from her cap to rest on her cheek. One night, he stuck his dick in her. The other man came, and he wanted to take her to England and marry her, and Crystal had nowhere else to bring the child, and she would not leave it by the river. So she crossed the sea. Now I'm a bit mad at me, ma'am. Never adopted me properly. Why not? Oh, that's what they said. She'll probably get some more children. That's why she never had me adopted. That's what they said. Then afterwards, after five years, would you believe? And she starts having kids. Then she had six. Then she had Heidi. Then nothing for five years. None for five years after that. Then she had Irmgard. Then she had Gunther. Then she had twins. Then Harry was the youngest. I would have liked to have Werner adopted. They want to sort it out, get your papers and everything. Because when Hitler came in power and Austria joined up to Germany, you had to have papers all of a sudden about this Aryan thing and that. I did get a kiss once, when I was really young. Just, just one kiss off somebody. He just gave me this one kiss. That was my first kiss. Real soft. I never said he liked me or anything. Just give me this one kiss. I had to go and fetch something, you know. It was dark. All of a sudden he appeared, and he just gave me this one kiss. And he never, and he never said, a said a word. Never said anything afterward. Funny, Funny that. that. If you look at anybody, you think you're already having sex or something these days, aren't they? 
but you know what nice you want like that. The men want like that. They just go out and you know somebody and have sex with him. He want like that. You know, in years ago. Villach. Stop one, Ellendorf. Vier und fünfzig. The Erlendorf house was grey. No one came to the door. A dark green, electric-locked gate. Thick tape on the mouth of the newspaper tube on the mailbox. Is that a surveillance camera? Small, tubular box-eye at us with its slow red dot pulse. We cycled asphalt radvegs by the outer barn and under heavy bridges, by mineral green streams and recycling plants. Then down gravel, scuffed paths that cut through trees and dark green mountains, massive on either side. A clear turquoise lake, graffiti, Warm, grassy air. Spots of rain. <coughs> Stop two, Ludwig Walterstrasse, Svanzig. <coughs> Looking from the side, the house was on. Under the pink, faded church. A car show called Werner. Next to that, a 24-hour casino and a net cafe. On a bus stop, a women's underwear advert. Further along, by the crossing, Schnitzelwelt. At the point of the address itself, a dozen new apartment buildings in matte grey. Numbers 15 to 25, interchangeable. The handle at 20, a big plastic mitt shape. Werner, my uncle, told the address where my grandmother lived to us over the phone. He added it was opposite a church with two onion domes. Somebody found me. They must have worked at the farmers in the country. Farmers brought me up till I was two. Then my mum went to this guest house and my father went there for a drink. And somebody came in with a little baby. The doctor said she couldn't have children and my mum loved children. She took me in her arms, lifted me up and I wouldn't let go. I put my arms right around her neck and I wouldn't let go. The woman said, would you have her or something? And she said she'd have me. Well, laugh then. That's how she told me, my mother. I wish she'd never told me. And she'd adopted me properly. And I'd have their name. 
Somebody found me there just in time. If they hadn't found me, I'd be dead. It's a funny life when you think. You get born. You weren't here before. Then you die. And it's just not there anymore. And there was this fellow running about with his back out and a big hole in his lungs. Everything just hung out and there was no doctor. Everyone laying there like animals, laying about. I distinctly remember this soldier running about with his cap on. And they were all laying there on straw like animals. This fellow running about with a big hole in his back. And there was nobody there to help him. No doctor, they said. Ice blooming. Ernst was the son of Ernst Conditori. And he had to take up the family business, though he did not like making cakes. He did not want to be inside a small kitchen, rolling dough and piping rosettes, when he could be in the fresh forest air. He had wanted to be a forester. When he retired, His daughters were married and the shop closed. To make up for lost time, he woke at 3 a.m. each day and cycled to the hills where he painted pictures. In winter, the water on the pictures froze on the way down and there were ice flowers, ice blooming in them. It used to be ever so hot in Austria. Not so hot now, the weather's changing. It's like in England. When I came to England first, the weather was really warm and I thought, it's warm in England, nice here, not so cold. Cause it's frosty in Austria. You get all flowers you can see out the window. Couldn't even see through cause of all those ice flowers. Get up in the morning freezing. Get dressed straight away, make a fire in the kitchen. We used to stay in the kitchen, nice and warm there. In and out of Europe. In 2016, polling day, I'm swimming in the Traunsee, Ober Österreich. In 1946, my grandmother came to Britain and spoke Kind Deutsch to her children. 
She swam as a child in the Fachersee, Wörthersee, River Guile. I swam as a child in the Emont, Oldswater, Cumbria. There's a schloss in the town I'm living in, named for my constituency, Cumberland, a lake-rich county of England, where I vote by proxy. Why did they let us come here then to torture us? Must have been a reason everyone got married after the war. They're supposed to be your enemy. I didn't know they were short of housing and they bombed it in. I'm not coming to a country they bombed all in. I never would have come. Can't even get your own place. Everybody had to live with somebody. I didn't come here to be rich or anything, but I expected a home. Austrian pastorals. One. The lake that's black in January. Two. An AM running stream, mineral off the Lozère mountain. Three. Stepped out the car in Ratten to a high, clear air, depost, tractor. Four. Wolfsburg, for instance, was a zone of death white. Five. And the Villach Canal, sprayed with weed. Six. I lived on a hill in Canton with piebald goats and barns. Seven. I'd go back to Tyrol's whistling rivers. I'd go to Vorarlberg's houses made from wooden feathers. Eight. I climbed forests of mountains and came out to insects flowers, raised trees, cattle. Where I walked the smooth roads daily, passing chickens and the ridge above the cemetery. I should have married in Austria. If I hadn't worked for the English, get a nice boy in Austria. Life's made out for you. I don't know how it works.
Thank you very much indeed, Phoebe. That's a very evocative reading. Thank you. I'm now pleased to introduce Fiona Sampson. Fiona has published 27 books, including seven poetry collections, and has been published in 37 languages. She has received international awards in the US, India, Macedonia, and Bosnia. She is the 2020 winner of the European Linux Atlas Prize. She's a fellow of the Royal Society of Literature, fellow of the English Association, fellow of the Wordsworth Trust, and acting president of the European Academy of Poets. She has also received an MBE for services to literature. Her prose books include Limestone Country, a Guardian Book of the Year 2017, and her critically acclaimed biography, In Search of Mary Shelley, which was certainly on my 2018 Book of the Year list. She collaborates frequently with artists and composers, sits on a number of editorial boards in the UK and abroad as an advocate for poetry in translation. Her poetry awards include the Newdigate Prize, a Chumley Award, Orthenden Fellowship, and various honours each from the Arts Council of England and, and of Wales, Society of Authors, Poetry Book Society, and the Arts and Humanities Research Council. She has been shortlisted for the Evelyn Encelot Prize for European Women Poets and shortlisted twice for both the T.S. Eliot and Forward Prizes. Her new collection, Come Down, will appear from Little Brown in February. Please welcome Fiona Sampson. Thank you very much, Bert, for that very generous introduction. And um, it's lovely to be back in Ledbury, um, this time as a local poet. Um, so thank you very much to Philippa and Chloe. Um, and thank you to Phoebe. Um, I'm embarrassed to be starting with a Slovenian poem because Alice Steger is sitting in the front row. So let me move the spotlight onto Alice Steger, who's going to read this afternoon. Do come, because it's going to be amazing. Um, in the karst region of western Slovenia, there is a UNESCO World Heritage Cave um, at Skocjan, um, and some people there say that it's what inspired Dante to write the Divine Comedy, because obviously when he was exiled from Florence, and of course the Divine Comedy is great revenge literature against that exile, um, he wandered around in the Veneto, and he might conceivably have gone to Skocjan. But um, I think Dante was a bit of a genius and probably would have managed to write the Divine Comedy with or without Slovenia. So this is Dante's cave, Velika Dolina Scotchen. Finally, I came to the end of the world, to a limestone cliff falling in pale steps and far below a pool somehow out of myth, proving that there was nothing but the rock to hold me up to raise me into that clear air where crows were looping, where the eye of God was gold and inattentive. Then I saw the end is air and falling. It is clean and lovely. It is blue. It's nice being asked to write poems to commission. Um, and this was a rather terrifying commission 
uh, a set of contemporary poets were asked to write contemporary responses to Shakespeare's sonnets, so not daunting at all. And I chose the sonnet in which he talks about the lover holding the beloved in chase. His image is of a housewife running after a hen that's running away from her, and the toddler is clinging to her skirts. So this is, in effect, holds her in chase, and it's called Drowned Man. See how they sleep. First he turns away, and then she turns after him. Or now she turns her back, and he follows, rolled by an imperative deeper than sleep. He rolls over like a wave that turns itself over sleepily with the sea's deep breathing, with its rhythm pulsing far out from land, pulsing far down in the dark where creatures not yet formed are forming, where, like half-made beasts, his dreams swim among hers, where she hears his breathing far above her, nearer to the light, nearer to the white-topped waves, the white-peaked sheets, his arm thrown across her now as she floats upward, drawing him out of deep tides, crossing their legs once more, and morning lies motionless to the horizon. In other words, my husband is a duvet hogger. <laughs> Sorry, Peter. So I'm going to read some poems from the new collection because one's always most in love with one's new work. Um, this poem is called Death, and it's been translated into Dutch, and it's had a kind of life already in Dutch. It hasn't yet been published in English um, because there's a, a well-known literary critic in the Netherlands who is himself, I mean, profoundly deaf, and he loves this poem, and he thinks it's a, it's a poem about deafness, which I'm honoured and moved by, but it's actually not particularly deaf. Are you listening? You are listening to the world you think, but you hear yourself over and over, the dark tongue of world, its hidden places under trees, beyond the lights, darkness falling from your feet so deep you could fall through it forever. And how loud world is with night in the trees like a roost of parakeets rising, the dark tongue of world rising up through you as you fall, dear self, dear lonely self, falling silently mouthing through sound. Uh, my apologies to um, the people who came on the Helen's course because I'm reading some of the same poems here. Um, we tried to move to France. We lived briefly in France um, and then the Brexit vote happened so we scuttled back to a place where we would be able to earn livings but be trapped. Um, and we were in uh, Perigord and nearby is Rocmadour, the famous shrine which is a limestone chasm and it's this it's this white city, really tiny city, but white. And there's a black Madonna. She's black because she's medieval silver and she's completely tarnished. Um, and she's not a beautiful Madonna. She's not chubby and motherly. She's hieratic and severe. 
but she is the votary for um, sailors, even though it's a very inland shrine. So she's Our Lady of the Sea in this poem. Lady of the Sea. Blue and black, the virgin sits in her high palanquin. She does not regard us. Her regard is drawn back from us, far back among the centuries where she comes from and where she is going. Already she is travelling past us and away. Ancient star, flying so slowly, we do not see her move. Suppose she, compassionate, uncoiled her serpent's arms or let that black mask fall. Could she move among us then? Or what would be broken and fired again? What understanding, newly perfected? High and far, very high and far, like the disappearing note of wind shrilling between glass comes the tone, the sweet stone rings when you knock the saint's open sarcophagus. Lady, in your ark of rock, you who wear the white rock as a wedding gown, lady, adamant and personal, we carry you in the eye's reliquary like a moat or like a beam that drowning we could cling to. Lady, stronger than time, stronger than light, we see you invisible and everywhere. Come Down is... Um, well, a book about a search for belonging, which is partly a search conducted by moving to Herefordshire and living in a very old place that has been settled continually since Roman times. Um, but it's also a book about um, finding my father, unfortunately, a year after he died, because um, I was a foundling, so it's quite difficult for me to listen to Phoebe's poems. Um, and uh, that leaves you with an existential lack of identity. You are a miracle to yourself. You're a blank page. You have no backstory. And for me, writing has often been about finding a backstory, but it's also always been a condition of radical openness. I'm really interested in mystery and otherness and other people's cultures and translation, in fact, because I don't think my stuff is more strongly mine than anything else, if you know what I mean. I don't think my stuff is better. So um, when I was working on Mary Shelley, um, it was perhaps a relief to get to think about Frankenstein, even though I detest the way Frankenstein is in the popular culture, the way he's creature, who is a real figure of human otherness or othering in Mary Shelley's novel is, after James Whale, the 1931 film, Boris Karloff and a shuffling idiot of no account, whom we can happily see torched at the end of, by the mob, at the end of the film, and that's a happy ending. Um, yeah, as you can tell, I identify with the creature a little bit. Um, and in Mary's novel, particularly in the 1818 edition, there's 
absolutely no suggestion of galvanism or of electricity in any form as bringing the creature to life. There's a little bit of light alchemy and some chemistry and some maths. And, um, but what there is, is the sense that the creature is made or remade from the parts of dead people. So, like a kind of Lazarus story, the dead people are brought back, but they're not brought back to themselves and they're not brought back out of compassion or love, but by this scientist who is, in effect, showing off his knowledge. So that seems to me a tragedy. They have to die and then come back through death again. This is Frankenstein's golem. Who is this moving swiftly through darkness in a landscape not yet given form by daylight? Slipping shapeless as a shadow through the dark and unknown places. Wearing night next to his skin, wearing a pelt of pine and stone. Who is this atoms seething on his skin who passes through the dark where he was buried and from which he was lifted, not by love, by power alone, lifted from death and forced to pass again through his own dying, who slips away between rocks as waterfalls electrify the dark? Who is this on the mountain where Mornings break along rocks, orange, pink, terracotta, light, new and tenderly wrought. Oh, I'll read you a Herefordshire poem. Arbiter the Y between uh, Ross and Hereford sometimes gets so shallow that cattle go out and stand in it and they're cooling in effect their ankles but it's so shallow that they look it looks as though they're standing on water it's beautiful to see wharf and of course it's a post-industrial landscape in fact past although it seems wharf when cattle stand on water not afloat but pausing to graze dark, shining water. They stand gazing as if this were nothing out of the ordinary, having come down an old slipway to graze world turned upside down by water, where they alone wait and will wait. Centuries of beast insight come with them to make a meal on the shiny rim of darkness where clay puggers heaved earth from itself, offering it up naked and ready for the mould, the pattern, the kiln and the drying rack. Um. Uh, we have a small menagerie where we live, but among the more, well, actually, among the least presentable of our creatures are our dogs, who are, as um, Linda and Stephen Gregerson can attest, rather a handful. <laughs> Lachlan, didn't, you didn't even meet them, did you? <laughs> we, kept, we now keep our visitors. We keep poets and dogs segregated now. <laughs> but, <laughs> but our dogs are rescue dogs, a little bit of projection by me there. Um, and Zoe was rescued not by us, I'm not that tender-hearted, but by the rescue charity in Bristol, from Akafana in Thessaloniki. 
and she and well, she was a puppy and she and the litter and her mother were rescued by a Greek dentist called Zoe. So actually we've named her Zoe. She came to us called Athena, which is far too dignified, it seems to me, a dog name for any dog, particularly for Zoe. And um, Zoe has this epigraph from Sappho, um, you know, that lovely evening star, you bring back everything, the bright dawn scattered. Zoe. Perfectly at home, street dog, the colour of coffee. You forget yourself leaning on me. Young dog, the colour of Greek coffee, you lean on me like a child wanting to be picked up wanting a home in my lap, wanting my coffee. Maybe you want me. Perfect in every part, pricked and appointed ears and nose and tail, you danced your courtship dance on the bare earth. And now, tired child, you come for rest and comfort, asking without shame, because there is no shame as once Sappho taught you. Um, I'm now going to do that horrifying thing and read you a long poem. Um, <clears throat> so this is a long poem. Obviously, it's a newish poem. And it's, as it were, my coming to America poem, because although I didn't discover my... It's, although it's, in fact, Australia, because although I didn't, therefore, obviously get to meet my father in tracing him through DNA, I traced uh, the family history. And obviously, it being Australia, unless you're an indigenous Australian, there's a lot of migration involved. And the first versions of this poem were hilariously, um, this really happened poems. I mean, full of boring detail, which only matters to me. <laughs> and it's had to go a long way to get to some transformation. Um, and so it's a poem partly about coming home to Herefordshire, partly coming about coming home to Australia, um, about rock, about ancestors, about sea voyages. I grew up by the Atlantic. I grew up in Aberystwyth, so sea is important to me. And it doesn't have any difficult words in it, no footnotes needed. And it's a title poem, so it's called Come Down. Um, I sort of feel I should say to you, are you sitting comfortably? It's a, it is a long poem. <laughs> Come down. Come down where it narrows, down over the last field where the valley squeezes almost shut, then opens. Come down into light and dark, systole and diastole. Water moving shadows below beaches and steep fields. Come and find the place you thought you remembered. Not hidden among trees, but standing at the valley corner. Still the same, a tall, plain house, though you can't greet the strangers who crowd through it. They pass in and out, mouths moving silently as if underwater. You can't read their lips, but light breaks on the upturned faces. Come down as everything breaks off mid-story. Tractor tracks, a bucket at a gate, traces of the ones who left just this morning centuries ago. 
And is it here in holy pantomime that suddenly a horse rears and rears, all soundless flash and buckle, and the dragon impaled on the saint's spear rears back from hooves thundering in silence by its head, one struggle knotted in one stone where the red stain spreads like something entering a wound to turn the blood that gallops in your ears? Or are those hooves beyond the river, almost out of sight among grey branches tasseled gold with mistletoe? Is it rumour or does something watch you with terrified beast eyes? It doesn't matter. Sit down. Take off your boots and wash your feet in this slow red river where plastic sacks float, slide, settle as some ancient muscle of sediment breaks surface like the backs of giant lizards that came down to drink, flexing their wings. Time was already calling them and the small white clouds passed overhead, but you were neither here nor anywhere. The valley didn't know you yet, although you've always known the light lying along the top field and the pear tree's hieroglyph, because you stand just out of frame, watching as if from some shore where, once upon a time and again, you witness, say, a ship lift perhaps, and come down as a ha flagged with gulls slips up its mast, carrying old smells amid the ragged light and bird screams of memory before words. This is not desire, as out on the difficult water a stranger sails away with you into the future where you and he never meet, not even in the unknown country, that long loneliness where he's taking you who don't speak his language. But this is what it means to witness. This too is belonging, catching cold while the youth on board the distant ship dreams of a child who floats her face pale, her hair spread and tangled like the dream in which she hears blood surf roar far away beneath the world and all night long digs in sand believing she can reach Australia. Down and down she digs and suddenly here is wide scrubland, red rock the colour of home and she is you and you see wavering like tears on the brim of sight slowly appear three children walking an enormity alone together where the bare sky meets the road and this too is belonging three lost children taking the measure of their strangeness as the curious creatures move past like a new doxology and time folds into another century where you come walking down with them into the future they won't arrive at stay with them in the plank house among roses where they do arrive at last and give thanks in plain hymns in the old tongue as the evening river moves along shining. Come back to the creek you've never seen, 
step down into light and darkness, water standing orange, pink, terracotta in the leaves, wooden shacks and a tin veranda where you walk up to the bar remembering you were always here in the body's forethought, in its heft, heat and juice, in the smile of a stranger who will never speak your name, waiting with the mother tongue to become local, like sandstone softening, as water threads below beaches and fields that don't change, or change absolutely, depending who comes down the slope among faint constellations of wild plum, not ancestors, but first comers stumbling down, who believed in the valley, knowing already its sly light between leaves, lichen and hanging damp, smells as old as another country. This too is belonging where a blackbird calls between the trees so clearly now, or was it years ago, when you were a child on a rope swing, still strange figures pass you, moving through the orchard as a breeze stirs, breathing seems to fill the leaves, and look, the old ones keep passing through us, saying, world is wide, we must come down together into its valley. Thank you.